Wow. Amy and Jason, thanks for sharing the gifts that God has uh, given you with us this morning. Uh, wow, great, great job. Wonderful. Uh, let's open with a quick, uh, quick word of prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you <clears throat> for the opportunity to come together today, God. We, uh, we, we thank you for this, this season, uh, this season where we, we celebrate the birth of your Son, God, we just thank you for, uh, thank you for what, what Jesus means to us in our lives and, and what, uh, what, what you sent him to do. God, we, we pray today that, uh, that uh, your presence be felt in here. God, we just invite the Holy Spirit and continue to invite the Holy Spirit into to this place, God, and, and into our lives. God, we thank you for the, the amazing gifts that you have given us. Uh, to be able to share with others and, and share you with others. God, we lift up today <clears throat> little baby Asher and also uh, Colton and Ramey. God, we just pray again that you might, your presence might be felt uh, through those doctors and through those nurses and, and, and through, through baby Asher and through mom and dad. God, we just pray that uh, that, that might be a, a comfort in knowing that you are in control there, God. And we pray for uh, for quick healing and, and, and quick results uh, for baby Asher and, uh, and for their family. God, we just lift them up in your, your presence here today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so for those of you who don't, don't know me, um, I'm Chad Arnold. I'm uh, one of the elders here. It seems to be like we're kind of getting this rotation of like elders, pastors sharing, elders, pastors sharing over the last few weeks. Um, I wanted to start out with a quick question. How many of you achieved everything that you had planned for the year 2020? Let's say your, your, your A, plan A. Any, any show of hands? Anybody? Okay, one. Okay, one. That's good. All right, well, um, <clears throat> some of you might have had some detours this year. I mean, I think most of us probably have had some detours. How about plan B, if we're being honest? Any plan Bs? Like, you know, plan B worked pretty well for me. Okay, so nobody there. Okay, so I guess we're being brutally honest. How about plan C? Any plan Cs? Yeah. Okay, well, after a brief video chat yesterday um, at about noon uh, regarding some slight curveballs that 2020 still had left, um, I'm plan D today. So uh, I, I apologize in advance. Uh, if you're visiting today, if you're visiting, please come back in 2021. There'll be someone much more capable and prepared up here than what I feel like today. But uh, nonetheless, uh, <clears throat> we just continue to look forward. Um, you know, uh, Josh has used the, the analogy at times that the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. And while it's important to see what's behind us, it's always extremely important to be cautious and, and careful and vigilant about what lies ahead. And so today, <clears throat> I want to uh, kind of share a little message about pride, poverty, and gratitude. And we're going to examine <clears throat> just a few mindsets as we enter this new year. So many of you who know me know that um, I, I love to teach people um, how to handle money through financial coaching, through some classes, and, and honestly, just in even some casual conversations. Um, <clears throat> Josh and I talked yesterday a little bit, and, he, and I said, Josh, I, 
I'll be honest with you, I've barely gotten out of pajama pants these last few days, so I'm not really sure what I'm going to have prepared for a Sunday morning, being it's you know, less than 24 hours. He's like, oh, you've, you've got some finance stuff in there I know you'll throw in. It's great for the new year. And so I, I thought and prayed on the, the notion of you know, New Year's resolutions and things like that, but um, God kind of took me down a, another path from um, <clears throat> with, with putting fresh in my mind a message that I heard a while back. Um, you know, the basis of, of, of the passion that I have really started with learning what the Bible has to say about money and finances, at least as much as what I can figure out. And I've studied scriptures. I've read, read books by some names that, um, like Howard Dayton and Ron Ballou, Robert Morris, um, Dave Ramsey. Um, you know, I've probably been in a few conversations or, or arguments on rights and wrongs of what you someone might, uh, might need to do with, uh, uh, with, with money. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like most of us who love Jesus and understand that the Bible is his word, we, we recognize that God wrote us a love letter on how to live our lives and how to handle money his way. And when we do, the weirdest thing really happens. It, it works. You know, when you get out of debt, you live on a budget, you live on less than you make, you save money, you end up with money. And it's really kind of the weirdest thing. You know, as a church, we, we looked at those very principles, and with a lot of effort and prayer from the start, we're confident that 2021 is going to be a great year. As you've heard uh, Jeremy and Josh and, and, and Eric all share, um, you know, we, we are looking to, to really really aggressively move towards securing a, a, permanent, a permanent place for truth and grace in 2021. And, and uh, that's through a lot of prayer and a lot of planning. You know, when you, when, you, um, when you exit one year and move into the next, you know, we know, uh, you know, as the season of giving, uh, you know, that we celebrate uh, ends and we, we enter into what we pray for to be a, a more prosperous new year, whatever prosperous looks like, we can't help but recognize that we've, we've got a problem that's developed in our culture. And the problem is that people who handle money really well and they develop a plan and they stick to it, they end up, like I said earlier, they end up with more money. The problem is, is that then oftentimes there's criticisms that can come with that. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a, kind of a, a series of, of spirits um, that kind of exist in the, in the culture today, and it's, it's kind of a bit of a problem, um, kind of like mindsets. Um, so here's the problem. If wealthy people are evil, we're all in trouble. And we're all in trouble because if you make $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. You're a one percenter. That's what they call them, one percenter. So congratulations if that's you. If you make $11,000 a year, that puts you what we know the government says is substantially below the poverty line, but you're still in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. If you have a computer, if you have a cell phone, if you have a car, if you have a television, you're wealthy. So as if, if wealth is evil, then we've all, we've all got a problem. And there's this, this spirit kind of flowing 
through the land, and it's, uh, it's kind of got a twisted biblical sense of wealth in, in saying that someone, because you have some level of success, whether that's $34,000 or $340,000, that you've done something wrong. And if we're looking, really looking and praying ahead into a more prosperous new year, again, whatever that looks like, we've got to make sure that we examine through some of these lenses. Today, I'm going to, uh, 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 if you open up your Bible or, or an app into Luke, um, I'm going to share with you a couple scriptures from Luke 10, 38 through 42, and then John 12, 1 through 7. Um, you can pull them up, or I'll just simply read them to you here. In Luke 10, 38, it starts, it says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into their home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that the, my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Then in John 12, 1, we learn that six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, and it was the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. There she is again. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, there she is again, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone, she did this in preparation for my burial. Keep these scriptures, keep these scriptures tight. Um, I'm going to share, share a little bit more about them here within a, in a few minutes. Um, a couple years ago, and some of you in this room uh, joined Tara and I in this, but we... Um, we took part in a, a small group study called The Blessed Life. It was led by Glenn and Amy Diener. Um, Blessed Life was a book written by Pastor Robert Morris, and um, it's really a great book. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's a great book on generosity and giving, and I encourage you to, to read it. Um, it was so good that Dave Ramsey took what Pastor Robert started and then kind of finished it with some points, and some of these points uh, I'm going to share with you today. Because... There's a, there's a movement that's going on in our culture, uh, in mainstream, um, it's going on uh, in the marketplace, it's going on in churches that we really need to be discussing. Robert Morris said that there are three spirits surrounded the subject of wealth, and there are three people in those stories that we just read that represent these three spirits. So first off, we have the spirit of pride. The uh, spirit of pride says wealth comes from hard work. Now, I would imagine that myself and many of you in this room are thinking, well, yeah, wealth, wealth does come from hard work, right? We're going to let Martha represent pride here. We're going to let her represent pride because Jesus was in Martha's house, and what was Martha doing? 
She was vacuuming, doing dishes. She was, she was busy. She was in the presence of the Son of God who was sitting in her home, and she was focused on this performance-based mindset. A um, little bit worried about getting that checklist done, Martha was. You know, if we're honest, especially this time of year, we can kind of find ourselves guilty of that as well. Um, maybe some of us a little bit more than others. We walk right by good stuff to get a checklist done. We got honeydews. Um, some people are a little bit more uh, apt to get those done maybe than I am. I'll admit that. <laughs> but we have honeydew lists. We're performance-based. We, 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 we think, okay, if I do these three things, Jesus is going to love me. If I do these three things, my spouse is going to love me more. If I do, like, these six things, my kids are going to love me. We've got so many things that are going on in life that if you're a hardworking guy or gal, you might think that wealth comes from hard work like Martha did. And that's certainly, certainly me at, at times, but that is a spirit, a spirit of pride. Um, I grew up on a farm and um, in a little town uh, called Beecher City. If you blink and, and you've been through there, you would miss it completely. I spent a lot of time with my dad sitting in a little coffee shop and listening to farmers talk. I've learned a lot, probably more than I should in some of those conversations. But I spent a lot of time there, and during that time, I never... Never heard a conversation from a farmer who really knew what he was doing, who, who said that, you know, he planted corn, fertilized, used the right, you know, right herbicides, everything else, and then just stood back and said, all right, son. You know, he stands back instead, and he prays, and he says, Lord, send son, send the rain, send just the right amount of both, because I need the right amount of both, right, to get the highest yields. Farmers aren't confused. They know it's not up to them. But that spirit of pride says the opposite. It's, it's that cause and effect. It's that me, it's up to me mentality. And those of us who have that spirit of pride, we fall into that trap. We catch ourselves saying things like this. Like, you know, well, if people don't work, they're just not going to eat. Or, you know, we quote scripture and, and say things like, you know, the diligent prosper, and those who manage small things well are going to be given more to manage. And, and again, we like those scriptures, and sometimes we, we, we misuse them if we're approaching things from a spirit of pride. If we aren't careful, we use them to justify our pride. And even though they are truthful, as they are spoken through the Bible, if we stay in that corner too long... We can develop a, a, a spirit of pride that becomes extremely toxic. And I think we can, it was safe to say that we've, we've been there at times. I know I have. The second spirit is the spirit of poverty. And Judas represents this second spirit. And this is the spirit of poverty. He says, uh, the spirit of poverty says that, you know, wealth comes from the devil. Wealth is evil. That's the spirit of poverty. Uh, you know, we have a sense of that spirit that's kind of loose in our society today as well. Um, I've certainly felt that as well. Um, several years ago, Tara and I learned that we were broke. We had no money. Um, we were broke. 
we didn't realize it until we, our eyes were opened to it, but we felt like we'd done something wrong. There was a moment where we thought, you know, hey, maybe God took this, this away from us because he was trying to protect us from ourselves, um, which totally could be a possibility, but I really truly believe that sadly it was the wrongdoing of our own uh, that put us where we were. Um, we were doing something wrong. And when we started handling money God's way, we started to do things like save and build a nest egg. But interestingly enough, that started to feel kind of weird too. Um, it felt like we had still done something wrong because we weren't suffering in that financial bondage anymore. It was a really strange feeling, but that was that, was that spirit of, of poverty where it, it felt wrong to be doing something right. And um, it's, it's really an evil spirit, that spirit of poverty. Um, people who speak uh, out of a spirit of poverty, they say things like Judas did. You know, oh, well, they say they're a Christian, but they drive an awfully nice car. Or, you know, they could have probably sold that car and just given all that money away. Um, they say things like, man, for the cost of that house, think of how many wells could have been drilled in Haiti. You know, we, we find ourselves saying things like this. And, you know, these are Christians saying these types of things. Um, that spirit of poverty, you know, comes from after Christ's death. There, there was a group of well-intentioned uh, or well-intended uh, Christians, um, which is really what we all end up being, well-intended. Um, but we've got to be cautious about becoming Pharisees. See, the Pharisees, by the way, they love, Pharisees love God. They just got way off track, and they started worshiping performance and rules instead of God. Um, they weren't like the devil. They were, you know, kind of on our side, um, but their spirit went bad. They, um, this group, the same thing happened with them. They, you know, they, um, a group called the, the Gnostic Christians eventually became the Gnostics, and Gnosticism became heresy, and they became heretics. Uh, and the core belief in Gnosticism is that anything physical is evil. Um, for something to be holy, it had to be spirit only. And so your clothing was evil, <clears throat> your body is evil, uh, the salad you ate for supper last night because you had too much food on Christmas was evil. <laughs> the animals you eat are evil. You get the idea. It's basically anything that we touch, anything we can touch is evil, and that's Gnosticism. And that's heresy because God made the physical, according to Genesis, every time he did it, he said what? It is good. Yeah, he said it was good. And then he made man and woman, and he said it is very good, right? Yeah, he even added, added a little more to that. It's very good. So God made my hands. He made my nervous system. He made my blood cells. They're created by him. They're not evil because they're physical, but they are to be submitted to, to him. He made my mind. He made your mind. He made our ability to make things like cars so that we can drive instead of walk, and he didn't make my mind to do that, but some of you may be able to tear one down and put it back together. Automobiles, they're not evil. They're objects. They don't have a soul. 
They don't have a life. They're not evil. They're not good. They don't have morals or car, right? Gnosticism falls in that spirit of poverty, and it's moved into our culture, and that's where the wealth is an evil spirit mentality kind of comes from. It's that spirit of poverty. You know, uh, one, one piece of scripture that I think is, um, is maybe used or misused and misquoted at times is, you know, we hear that money is the root of all evil. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody heard, heard that? Money is the root of all evil. Is that what the Bible tells us, though? It tells us the love of money, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. See, rich people aren't evil. Poor people aren't holy by the fact that they're poor. That's not what makes you holy or good or evil. I'm here to tell you, there are rich people who are jerks, and there are poor people who are jerks. (laughs) There's that, that now, now money can make you more of what you already are. So if you already are uh, approaching something from that sense, then it might make you more of what you, what you already are. But the spirit of poverty can be a very dangerous thing. It's not a biblical spirit. It's not the biblical view of wealth. It's, the spirit of poverty um, is, is not that. By the way, actually, um, Pastor Robert uh, Morris said that the spirit of poverty has two little sisters, and those are envy and jealousy. And I used to kind of think that envy and jealousy were the same thing, but it turns out when I look, looked it up, jealousy means that I want what you have. That's, that's jealousy. I want what you have. Envy is whenever I don't think I can get it, so I don't want you to have it either. So while they're very closely related, they are a little bit different. Um, we do have a problem there, though, because there's a whole bunch of people that are saying that you shouldn't do X or you shouldn't have X. Um, you shouldn't have a car as nice as the one you drive. In fact, Terry and I, we bought a car this past fall, and uh, you know, I thought I'm just going to do a little bit of research. Um, you know, because I, mean, I think making a good big decision like that requires you to do your homework. So I want to do a little bit of research to establish the level of car that we could drive and still be saved. Let me explain to you. So I wanted to know. I didn't just want, I, I didn't want one that was too nice. You, you kind of, you know, want to get that happy medium just so where you're, you're okay and you can still love Jesus, but you can still get to work, right? Because it can't be too, too nice of a car. And it turns out that we looked into it in a lot of detail. And uh, just to kind of help you with this, it turns out that it's a, a 2014 Volkswagen Passat. Who knew, right? Who knew? <laughs> it's... It's, it's ridiculous, and we laugh because it, it's, it's ridiculous, but this is, how, this is how people think and people speak out there. Um, so I heard a, someone say one time that a, a car that is too nice is any car that's nicer than what you have when you're functioning in envy and jealousy. And how big of a house is too big? Well, that's a house <clears throat> that's obviously bigger than yours, if you're envious and jealous. Sometimes we kind of just have to mind our own business and we just need to learn and practice things like contentment. 
which might be a whole nother sermon the next time I get caught off guard with a phone call on a Saturday afternoon, right? But that's, that's that spirit of poverty. Third one is the spirit, the last spirit is the one of gratitude. <clears throat> spirit of gratitude is obviously represented by Mary in this case. Now, Mary is the sister of Martha, <clears throat> not Mary, mother of Jesus, who we've been celebrating, but spirit of gratitude says that wealth is God's. It's not ours, and wealth comes from God. Wealth comes from God, and it is God's. I'm grateful for that, and I want to act in a way where my life, <clears throat> I can say thank you, and that's an act of worship. Pastor Robert Morris says, it's not how much you have that matters, it's what we do with what we have that matters. It's how I handle my life in stewardship, it's how I handle money in stewardship, if I'm functioning through that spirit of gratitude, everything I'm doing is an act of worship as returning it to God. In a spirit of gratitude, I'm saying things like, thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And because you're my God, and you provide me and my family, and you allow me to use the gifts that you've given me, everything in my life is going to be through an act of gratitude. Gratitude breaks open that expensive oil, the fragrant oil worth 300 denarii. Help you a little bit with this. Um, I'm a math nerd, so anytime I see some of those figures pop up, I, I just kind of have to take a look at that. So 300 denarii in, in that time was approximately a year's wages, as we learned. Uh, Judas tells, tells us. The average household in America today, uh, the income is 50, around $50,000. So this woman just dumped $50,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. That's a lot. And, and I, don't, I mean, I don't even care who you are. I'm going to stand back and I'm going to be like, um, could, you, could maybe you just pour out half of that? I mean, that's $50,000, $50,000. And I don't know a thing about perfume. I'm not going to claim to know anything about perfume. But in fact, yesterday we went to Walmart for some after Christmas sales and they had some gift packs of cologne and stuff. And, and uh, I think I paid $5 for one, you know, so it, I didn't, you know, nowhere close to $50,000. Some of you know about perfume. I don't know anything about perfume. Um, but I do understand that that cheap stuff, like I purchased, is probably not real potent. It's, it's, it's the stuff you, you put on and you think, man, hopefully somebody smells that. I mean, other than what they might smell otherwise, right? I don't know. But you know it's not real potent if you're paying $5 for it. But the more expensive the perfume is, the more it kind of tingles your nostrils and the more it kind of lights them up. The real expensive stuff, you take that lit, lid off and that whole room just fills with fragrance. And some of you maybe have been around some of that stuff. They used to have a perfume store somewhere and like you walked in and it was like, whoa, you know, it just hit you. So, but we're talking about $50,000 worth of perfume. So when you open it, 
that room filled. When she poured it on his feet, that house filled. By the time she bent over and started to worship him by wiping his feet with her hair, that whole neighborhood smelled like perfume. And Jesus said, leave her alone, for she has done this for my burial. This dinner happened right before Passover. Four days later, Mary walked into the tomb that that stone had been rolled away from, a story most of us know. And her Lord was gone, but the smell of that perfume was still there. That's an act of gratitude. She anointed the Son of God for his burial with $50,000. A spirit of pride would have said what? That's irresponsible, right? We'll say that's completely irresponsible. A spirit of poverty would have said, go sell it and give all that money away. If you listen, you start hearing these messages. And these messages that, again, I, kind of a, I was awakened to, and hopefully you are too, they're all over the place. And you really need to be praying that God takes them out of your life because you can get, you can get sucked into them very easily. I don't care if it's pride or poverty, we've got to get back to the understanding of God's views on these things. And when we do, we're really going to see a revival break out. It's real. 100% of the time that I'm grateful, I can say things like, what can I do to help? 100% of the time that I'm grateful, I can say things like, God, thank you for that paycheck. Thank you for being able to feed my family. How do you want me to handle it? He says a few things in Scripture, uh, many things in Scripture. He tells us how you get out of debt, how you live on a budget, how you live on less than you make, how to save money. He tells you how to give a tenth to the local church, which, by the way, this might surprise you, it surprised me. Barna Research showed 12% of born-again believers, 12%. That's the number of born-again believers who actually tithe. So he, but the Bible tells us all of these things. There's a few things in there. Talk about, you know, you don't co-sign for a loan. Um, it's just, it's, there's so many different things that's, that's, that's in there. And he tells you how he wants you to handle the blessings that he's given you. And you have to study that. That's the act of gratitude on your part. It's a way of saying, thank you for those blessings that you've given me in my life. Because of gratitude, I'm going to approach life with excellence. And it, and it pushes you more towards that excellence. Uh, there's a mentor of mine, and some of you may have heard me even say this sometimes, uh, but, and some of you may have said it yourself, but a mentor of mine who said, if you're going to put a fish on the back of it, you better drive it right. We've all seen the cars that, you know, uh, you've got a, a fish emblem on the back. And uh, folks, I'm going to tell you, our non-Christian friends, they're watching us. They watch everything we do. They watch the spirit that we share on social media. They watch the spirit that we share in that rumor mill conversation at the barber shop or the beauty shop. They, they, they see and they hear how, how we react when God blesses us, they see it. 
Are we living the life of gratitude that our faith should resonate? There's a book called Thou Shalt Prosper, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. He wrote the book. But he's, one of the quotes from that book said, When you do well in the marketplace, people say thank you. And they give you certificates of appreciation with president's face on them whenever they, whenever they give you that uh, gratitude. It's an act of gratitude to be a giver. It's always nice to, to, to leave a tip when someone waits a table well for you. Generosity is that natural outflow of a spirit of gratitude. And excellence is that natural outflow of a spirit of gratitude. Um, when I'm fa- thankful... Um, and I act like it, it changes me. And that's what I want to challenge you guys to consider today is if you practice your life being thankful, as we look ahead to, again, a prayerfully more prosperous new year in 2021, whatever that prosperity looks like, if we approach it from a spirit that we should it won't just change us, but it will change others around you. And I want to challenge you with, with that. You get to be Martha. You get to be Judas. Or you get to be Mary. And I'll confess right here, I've been all of them at times. And I think many of you have admittedly as well. But how can you be more like Mary in 2021? Now, Today we're going to have a, a, a little different, we noticed there's no band up here. Um, that was part of plan D as well. <laughs> so uh, we did have the, the blessing of being able to have Amy uh, and, and Jason share uh, a recording, I believe, that Eric's going to share as we leave. But I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. We will dismiss um, as the song ends. And um, I just pray that you all have a, a very blessed New Year's, very safe New Year's. And uh, let's, let's finish with prayer. Lord Jesus, God, we just um, ask you, help, help us to be more like Mary. More often than not, not to be prideful um, with what you've allowed us to accomplish in life, what you've accomplished through us, God. Let us not judge things when we really don't have any idea what we're talking about, God. We just pray that... You help us to not not do that. God, help us to worship at your feet. Help us to pour out everything that we've got right there. God, let, let our lives look like a reflection of that spirit of gratitude that Mary, that Mary exhibited. God, we thank you. We thank you for the friends in this place. We thank you, you know, and, and ask you for the, your protection from them. From those spirits regarding what we spoke about today, God, we just ask that you give each of us an increased measure of gratitude. And out of that comes that sense of excellence. And out of that comes the extraordinary level of generosity as we head on into the new year, God. Father, we just want to stand back in awe of you, and we just want to say thank you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.